Amen. Thank you very much. Um, just thinking in, in the busyness as we're getting ready to ramp back into the full steam of the world, it's actually so good to have a peaceful space in which we gather. Brilliant. Um, and thank you so much, Dave, for interviewing Eddie and Anya, and I, I, hope they're, I hope they can see that, especially us praying for them. Uh, they are truly inspiring lives, and, and uh, that's kind of partly what it inspired me to share, what I want to sh- briefly share this morning. Um, but thanks so much for praying for them, and, and their story for many of us who know them is incredible. And, and now, which is so cool, seven villages that we were able to touch through the small gift we sent to them. Absolutely brilliant. So hopefully, we'll, as David said, we'll go again and we'll hear more of their story again as we continue. But this morning, I'm taking a bit of a tangent. We started a series last week, so of course, week two, you have to take a tangent from that series, and I'm sort of sticking in it. But on the back of sort of thinking about them and on the back of a conversation I had a week ago, I want to take a tangent that I think speaks into this series, but also challenged me about something that was said here a little while ago. Ali started this, it's not there, but Live Free series um, last week. And uh, the, the phrase that I would love us to, to stick in our heads, or the phrase, actually it's an equation, that I would love us to stick in our heads as we go into the, the coming six or eight weeks or whatever it is, is, is this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's a really important equation. Because I know you and I come in, went through this week and coming into, come into this Sunday morning trying to fill that nothing with something. And either feeling like we're failing in filling that part of the equation in, like I didn't do this or I did that and I shouldn't have and I'm, 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 I'm not good enough at that and I'm doing too much of that and... Or else feeling like, oh, I come in ready, and that person doesn't. You know, I'm sorted. I've got this stuff. But we're trying to fill in that part of the equation that says nothing. Jesus and what he did and what he brought and dying and rosing again and giving us his spirit plus nothing equals everything. And I'm not going to go into that too much, but that equation le- leads to freedom. But I was challenged on that the last couple of weeks because I spoke about Joshua chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago and then a few weeks ago before that. And, um, and I was speaking about a specific line, well, two lines, but one line in particular led to this conversation I had. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5 where Joshua says to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among us. And I was challenged by that consecrate yourself bit. because I think everything else flows out of that. And that consecrate yourself isn't something, it's actually nothing. It's just coming before God and saying, this is about you, I yield to you, I stop to listen to you, I want to hear you because I need you. But consecrate yourself for tomorrow I will do great things among you. And I I, I spoke on that because I was really challenged by that in my life. How much am I consecrating myself? How much am I stopping? How much am I yielding so that God can do great things? And I was having this conversation with my friend who's actually a pastor in a different city. And I was saying how I've been challenged into this routine that 
I set my alarm every morning an hour before I, I think my family's going to get up. So whatever, the ebbs and flows, Saturdays and Sundays are different than Tuesdays. And, but I, I take a guess at when I think my family's going to wake up, and I set my alarm an hour before that. And I was saying how I know when I do that, when I take that time to stop, to pause, to be silent, to read, to say, God, I desperately need you today. The more I do that, the more my life is filled and, and looks more like Jesus and I feel more alive in him and, and life happens. And the less I do that, it doesn't. And I notice there's a difference. And I said this to my friend and to you and to me when I spoke on it to inspire and encourage us. You know, when we take that time, there's life. And, but my friend's response was, well, Paul, that just makes me feel rubbish. <laughs> because I am, right now, I'm totally failing at that. Right now, I, I, I feel like that's, that's the part of my life that's just missing and I'm not doing it and I'm not good at it. And he said, but, but my son's up at 5.30 every morning <laughs> and he's busy. He's three years old and, and he's like, I can't get up an hour before that when I'm already exhausted because he's up during the night and all this stuff. And, uh. <laughs> and so what I said, hoping to encourage him, actually just deflated him. And so it was funny, I was like, my friend, I to- you know what, sorry, and I totally understand where you're coming from. And I was recounting back a little bit to, remember we did the Holy Habits series back in the autumn. And when we did that series, which was all about habits, praying, reading your Bible, um, fellowship, breaking of bread, worship, all these different things about ha- creating these holy habits that God's going to fill. I said, actually, I had come out of a good season and went into like a diving season of poor habits. Because Fiona and I went through this probably eight weeks where John was up several times during the night, like six times, and Lily, and so we were constantly up in the night. And then he was up from 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And so as we were going into this series of teaching on these great habits we should have for life, Paul's habits were diving through the floor because I was barely able to open my eyes in the morning and so tired at night. And so I'm like, I totally identify with you in this. But I remembered in that season, which was an encouragement to me, a friend of mine said, Paul, see when you have kids under like three or different stages in life, but particularly for you when you have kids under three, you just have to give yourself a break. You know, maybe the books you read or the, I didn't play golf, but he was the golf you play or the whatever it is, those, those habits, those, those patterns, those, those things you have in your life. See when you have young kids, just give yourself a break because you don't have space or, or time for them. And so I was identifying that with, with holy habits. I actually totally failed in. I was feeling guilty as I was teaching on it, but my friend's voice is resonating in my head. Paul, sometimes you need to give yourself a break. And I think that's so important for us, and it reminded me when I had this conversation with my friends, and it reminded me for us that we can sometimes talk on these things, and it feels like just another thing loading on you. But we are all in different places. We're all in different patterns. We all have different stresses. We all have different contexts. We all have different things going on in your life. Work can be enormous, an enormous weight in seasons that just totally burdens you and consumes your life and stresses you out. Now, if that runs on forever, you need, we need to make changes and patterns of our life. But there's seasons where it's unavoidable. And where you don't have the capacity to stop and wait for an hour every morning or two, like I know some people in in this church do. 
or mental or physical health, if you're in pain or if you're incapacitated, if you're in different things, there's certain times where you don't have the focus to do an hour or to do, to reach out to that person or to do. Or if there's tragedy, if there's trauma, or there's so many different things that happen in our lives that stop us from having those patterns in place that, that we know we want to have. Or worse, we see in other people. And that's what I was challenged with this morning is that comparison kills. You are in a certain situation, a certain context, a certain background, a certain level of capacity or lack of capacity, resource or lack of resource. You are. But when you compare yourselves to others, you'll either defeat yourself like I did to my friend. Well, that makes me feel rubbish. Or you'll blow yourself up way bigger than you are. Comparison kills. A guy named Craig Groeschel, a pastor in the States, said this, and it sti- a few of his quotes stuck with me, but this one I think is powerful. He said, the fastest way, you can barely see that, to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special in you is to compare it to something else. And God is doing something in you and me, in your context, in your resources, in your skills, in your personality. And if you want to kill that, look at what I'm doing. Or look at what Dave's doing. Or look at what Kirstie or, or Nicola or whatever. If you want to kill what God's doing in you, compare it to what God is doing in someone else. Comparison kills And that's why, well, it's not why, but Paul, the apostle, was inspired. He was inspired by God. We believe God's word's inspired. But when he wrote about the body of Christ in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in Ephesians, and other places, he is so obviously, truly inspired. I love how he writes about this. And I, I hope in this season, when we're all coming out of crazy things, going into crazy things, and, and for you particularly, I hope you can hear this. I want to read one of the examples of when Paul speaks about the body of Christ from 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm, not going to, I'm just going to read bits of it. But I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. It's going to pop, some of it's going to pop up here. Just as a body, though one, has many parts... But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, I can't lift stuff or touch stuff or point to stuff or wave like a hand can. I'm not part of the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't have a vision, I can't see those things, I can't look in beauty, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of seeing be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he 
wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, many parts, but one body. Now you are the body of Christ. And that hit me, the reality. We do that constantly. I'm a foot, but I want to be a hand. I'm an ear, but I want, I'm an elbow, but I want to be the heart or the brain. Imagine without, and we can go into this all day, but we do this comparison kills. But it's not just about our skills. It's about our context as well. The two stories that really popped out to me when I was thinking about this were the story of the widow's offering from Luke chapter 21, And just before that, the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. So the widow's offering. You know, well, some of us know the story. That's the widow that comes to the temple. Jesus and his disciples are at the temple one day, and they're just watching, or they're just doing the Jesus and disciples thing. And there's people coming up to the temple, putting their stuff in the offering. And there's rich guys coming, putting, you know, silver and gold and all this stuff, and probably bringing, like, big cows and all sorts of things to make sacrificial offerings and all this and all this is going on but at the same time a widow comes with two they say the equivalent of two pence so what does two pence do realistically to an offering what does it do to the life of the temple or the life of the church logically zero it has no impact on the life of the church logically but when she drops that in, Jesus goes, guys, come on, boys, 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 did you see this? And they're like, yeah, we saw the, the rich guy, yeah, that was amazing, the silver he dumped in, the gold, the cow he brought, that was, and Jesus is like, no, did you see the widow? The widow that dropped in two pence? What she brought was more than everyone else. And they're going, no, it wasn't. What she brought was nothing. What she brought was more than everyone else because she gave all that she had. How powerful is that? And we know that story. But I love it in light of Zacchaeus. Because imagine if the widow would have walked past Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, that story was in Jericho, and who knows how. She wouldn't have walked past it. But imagine if she did. Going to the temple. Zacchaeus is a totally different story. Jesus, you know, Zacchaeus is in the tree. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. He goes to his house. He's sitting there. Rich man's convicted by Jesus. He says, wealthy tax collector. I'm going to give half I have to the poor, and I'm going to give double back to anyone I've cheated. And Jesus celebrates this. He says, Today, salvation has come to this house. There's like a party. Imagine the widow walking by, seeing Jesus celebrating Zacchaeus. The wealth, the money he's thrown at people. That's what Jesus celebrates as she's walking with her two pence to the temple. And it goes back in her purse, and she goes home. But she didn't walk past it. And she got there and she put it in. And although Jesus had just celebrated wealth here, he then says about the widow, what she has is actually more than all of it because she gave all that she had. Jesus celebrates 
both these things, although they're in totally different contexts, totally different situations. She has nothing to give. My friend can barely even get up in the morning because his kid's tiring him out and all these, or, or you with your pain or your job or your stress or your frustration can't do what someone else does. And if you're giving it, Jesus is celebrating it because it's greater than anyone else. But at the same time, he's celebrating Zacchaeus. But when we compare ourselves to each other, it kills. And so my challenge to me as I was having this conversation is we've just talked about Joshua 3 and as we're going through this Live Free series, if we want to live free, as we're going to be talking about, the question for me and the question for you today is, what is God calling me into today? What is God whispering in my heart today? Not what do I see Eddie Gananya doing with nine kids that they're fostering and going to seven villages and amazing. And it took a whole bunch of steps to get there. But what is God calling you into today? And when it comes to the start of the conversation about consecrate yourself for tomorrow, I will do amazing things for you may start with two minutes and two verses and saying, God, I've got a busy, crazy day or my kid's up or my job's stressful, but for this minute, two minutes, I surrender. And that's all it may be. But what is God calling you, 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 into today? I just want to read a few verses as we stop. Karen Hewitt put this on our leadership chat this week, and I said to her, that is so powerful for what I'm speaking, what I'm thinking about for Sunday. So I want to read 2 Corinthians 3, verses 3 to 6, and I think this is for some of us, one of us, all of us today. 2 Corinthians 3, 3 to 6 says this, As a result of our ministry, you are living letters written by Christ. Not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not carved onto stone tablets, but onto the tender tablets of hearts. We carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God. And then listen to this. Yet, we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. For our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills what I have to do, what I must do because he did it or she did it. But the Spirit in you pours out life. Comparison kills. It's the quickest way to kill a special thing 
but the Spirit of Christ in you, in your inability or ability, resource, lack of context, background, pain, hope, joy, freedom, family, none. In you gives life. In me gives life. And I pray we have and grow in that message today and in the coming weeks. We're just going to worship the close and I want to pray as they come up. Father, you are speaking to us today. You're speaking to me today. I pray you'll help us to stop seeing others ahead of you. And I pray you'll help us to stop looking at how rubbish we are or how great we think we are. And help us to see who we are in you. Lord, whisper in my ear and our ears what you're calling us into today. I pray in Jesus' name.